Last time on the Marvelous Duo. I I just imagine like I like you you hear the last time on the Marvelous Duo, and then you have a few little clips, like a few little snippets, right, from uh, the the last episode, and then you go straight into us uh, talking, talking about this one, or you actually have this whole segment right here of us rambling about how to do this, okay, and okay. then we cut straight to the stuff we've already recorded. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to part two of The Marvelous Duo. Last time we were talking about how Loki was kidnapped way too easily. Suspiciously easily. Loki gets kidnapped, Thor comes down from the sky and just yeets his bro out of that plane, and there's like fighting stuff. I have something towards the end of that, so oh, okay. what, what, what are your notes on that situation? That when Captain America jumps out of the plane... The CGI is so bad. In that scene of him jumping out, it is horrible. The CGI in the rest of this movie, mwah, as mwah as it can be for 2012 CGI. But that scene was campy and bad. Yeah, I didn't notice any bad CGI of that scene. I was staring at Chris Evans the whole time. Of course you were. Uh, I, I was laughing at his joke that uh, God doesn't dress like Thor. Oh. There's only one god, man. I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah, and then he jumps out of the plane. The CGI in that scene where he's jumping out of the plane, real bad. It is so bad. Gotcha. I just, I noticed it. It stuck out, and so I wrote a note. You know what it is? It's probably whoever was doing the CGI got distracted. Oh my lord. By Chris Evans. That's, that's exactly what it was. Most likely. So in that scene, moving on, we got Loki and Thor talking, which is a pretty emotional conversation between the two of them. But we also see two ravens fly by at one point, and those are actually ravens that we have seen sort of in the background in anything having to do with Odin, because they are two ravens that are part of Norse mythology, but they are basically Odin's eyes and ears throughout the Nine Realms. So it's really cool that they kind of get included in these movies every once in a while, just like showing Odin is keeping an eye on his sons. Does that mean that they're... that? ravens or aliens or did odin come to earth and it was like that's my favorite creature i'm gonna put those everywhere because the nine realms in the marvel universe are planets across the universe actual places we know that from ragnarok so you're saying that other planets have ravens which either means ravens aren't from earth or ravens are an invasive species on other planets or Odin came to Earth and microchipped a couple of ravens and uses them as... Does he, like, pick his favorite animal on, on all the planets he goes to? Like, ravens on this one, bellschnapps on that one? You know what happened? All the ravens died in 746 and were replaced by Odin. So the birds work for the bourgeoisie. I knew you were going to make that joke. And I hate every part of it. Either way, birds aren't real. Basically, yeah. They're spy cameras. Have exactly. you ever seen a baby bird? No. Spy cameras. <laughs> Someone who has exclusively worked with birds. Spy cameras. <laughs> okay, anyways. In that scene, also, Thor offers to take Loki home. Yes, but Loki refuses because Loki wants to be king. Which is sad because you see how much Thor loves, like genuinely loves Loki as a brother. And like in Thor's mind, whatever Loki has done wrong, he's willing to forgive and be like, come home with me. But he's really 
bad at communicating that well. And you can see that Loki definitely has the feelings. We already talked earlier about a Loki maybe projecting his own feelings in the moment. He already, I think he already wants to go back. But yeah, that, that speech about living in his brother's shadow, his pride is getting in the way of him actually... But he does, Loki has some legitimate problems in that, you know, his dad, or I guess... Captor? Yeah, yeah, kidnapped father that's really, really messed him up. Yeah. It is kind of understandable. Not an excuse for murdering 80 people so far. Oh, no, not at all. And he's not to 80 yet, I don't think. No. We're like eight that we've seen. Plus whoever was, you know, trapped under the rocks. And the two guys that Hawkeye killed, we can count as Loki's kills as well. Is that the case? Because then the total on-screen kills that I've seen in this movie were 12 of, like, Loki directly killing a person. I believe if we add in the Hawkeye ones, that goes up to 14. Does anyone have the line when Loki and Thor are talking and Thor says something and then Iron Man comes and just yeets Thor into the woods and Loki goes, I'm listening or I'm waiting or whatever it is yeah, he says. Yeah, Thor says, listen to me, brother. And then Iron Man comes and takes Thor away. And Loki just goes, I'm listening, which is kind of funny. But then, yeah, we get the fight between Iron Man and Thor, which we see Loki smirking about, which, come on, guys, obviously this is part of his plan. The two of them fight, going back and forth. Tony is extremely snarky towards Thor, makes a comment about him being Shakespeare in the park. We get the famous, doth mother know you wear the drapes joke, and it's a pretty cool fight. And also Jarvis saying, suit at 400% capacity. I don't know if he knows what capacity means, but... I don't think he does. Tony does not help. No. Situations. Oh, no. He, he arrives, makes it worse. And then Captain America comes down and solves the problem. Although, in this case, his solving of the problem is literally just having a shield that is strong enough to stop Mjolnir. Because we get to see what happens when you get Dwarf Star Alloy versus Vibranium. You want me to put the hammer down? But also you see in this scene, in Thor, we talked about how Thor had a lot of issues and he worked through them to become worthy again. And he like kind of stopped putting himself first and thinking about other people. In this scene, you can still see that Thor still has a bit of, like, the ego and the anger management problems. Yeah. Humans are so petty. Also, I feel like I know which side you chose in Captain America Civil War. For Phase 2, you need to uh, save me for Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you have lots of opinions about that movie? It's my favorite one. Oh, Chris Pratt's my favorite Chris, so. Anyway, that situation kind of devolves, and they go back and get Loki, who stayed there. Big red flag. And they head back to the shield helicarrier. Yeah, that boy could have teleported out at uh -huh. any time. Yep, three main characters were distracted and the villain stayed. Hmm, maybe he's planning something. Also, they planted the fact that you could tell from the beginning of this movie what Loki wanted. Because when they're carrying Loki through the helicarrier... He makes, he smirks at Banner every time he makes eye contact with him. There are major hints oh, up yeah. till this point that it's a trap. So yeah, they get him back to the helicarrier. This is also where they're trying to figure out why he needs the, the material and where they mention that Loki has to heat the cube to 120 million degrees Kelvin, which is, I believe, eight times. I'm like, 
very concerned that my math was wrong. It was very simple math. Anyway, we, we passed through the meme bridge, where all the memes happen. All of the memes, yes. I understood that reference. He's adopted. The Tony Stark eye-rolling meme. All of the memes in the conversation, and Tony taking charge of the bridge on the helicarrier, making a comment about one of the people playing Galaga, which was an ad-lib by Robert Downey Jr. that they later added a shot of someone playing Galaga, because it was a funny ad-lib. It's, it's also an important scene because Tony plants a bug, basically, trying to hack into their system to find out what S.H.I.E.L.D. is up to. Also, when Tony is walking into the meeting room at the beginning of that scene, he walks in with Coulson, and they are having a conversation as they're walking into the meeting room and Tony tells Coulson that he will fly him to Portland to see the cellist. They're still talking about this cellist that lives in Portland, Oregon. There's a whole side story going on with Coulson and this cellist and I never noticed it the first time. I don't know why you're so concerned about the cellist honestly. Because I want Coulson to be happy. Well, Coulson's about to be dead soon, so... Stop! <laughs> but then Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is gonna bring him back. And maybe he dates the cellist in that, I will never know because you're I'm not, not gonna, gonna watch, watch it. it. This part of, uh, like, a after they, they kind of go back into the science room with all of the transparent magic screens. And this, this is where, like, Tony's really connecting with Banner and wanting him to, like, strut his intellect like, uh, like he does. Yeah, they have um, a real heart-to-heart -heart in that scene. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, kind of... Uh, we're setting up for the big, uh, dramatic, interpersonal conflict of the movie where everybody's really, like, you know, Cap and Tony have... They, they have the back-and-forth about shield and following orders and not a uh, not a soldier and the like i don't remember if the really big unraveling scene happens before or after cap goes and finds the hydro weapons after because it's when they're all in there right. and loki's manipulating the mind stone to make them fight so a really good point that came up I was watching this movie with my wife, and she she actually made this point that if cap had fought through nom Instead of World War II, he would have had he would have been immediately down to like be on Tony's side about not trusting the government. Absolutely straight, like would have heard what he was saying, locked on, and just been one hundred percent on board. No conflict there. But he's a part of the greatest generation. He, he's he's pre boomer. He's a soup. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is a good point. It kind of kind of shows the that the the characters are a result of of their time, which but... isn't an excuse no. by any means. Before before that big argument, we see Natasha manipulating Loki to try and figure out what his, what his plan is. Which you see that Loki like reads the situation really well, but Nat is just really good at manipulating, even better than he is. Which is, I think, it happens because he gets emotional as well. Like he he breaks and he starts yelling at her and calling her names and that kind of thing and that's when he actually drops the information that she's looking for but also i think that plays in the fact that loki thinks humans are less than he is yeah he underestimates them which is ultimately his downfall also loki is locked in a steel and glass chamber that they originally planned on keeping banner in if he hooked out the whole design of that room is explicitly we want to have our villain behind glass so we can see Tom Hiddleston's beautiful face and a hot, hot, hot body 
while he's intimidating to people. That's the whole thing that's there. Otherwise, it wouldn't be made. Oh, like, glass. Glass was a bad choice. Yeah. It's like, oh, if you crack the glass, it'll drop and kill you. Why would you make it crackable? <laughs> Which we see later when Thor literally zooms out of it. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, able, he's able to escape because... <laughs> I already mentioned that Coulson dies. Like, yeah, I, we're well beyond spoilers. Yeah, movies have a tendency to like to put their villains behind glass so that they can be admired. We see that in the second Thor movie as well, when Loki's behind the shimmery field, and he like puts on the facade and then drops the facade, and he's like leaning the classic leaning against the wall scene. Yeah, another memeable scene. Talk about Tony eating blueberries on set in the scene with Banner because it's oh. that scene. It is that scene, yeah. Tony eats blueberries in this in in the scene where he's talking to Bruce, which that was not written in. That was just Robert Downey Jr. hiding food on the set. That was a common thing that he did. I think there's several scenes where he's just eating food, and it is because Robert Downey Jr. would hide food, and he hid it so well that they knew he was doing it, and they could never find it. They tried to find where he had hidden the food so that he would stop doing it. But also the scene that they decided to keep is when he's eating the blueberries, he walks over and he offers it to Mark Ruffalo, and you see, you can see in that moment Mark Ruffalo's face, like he looks at the blueberries, he looks back up, and then he reaches his hand in and takes some blueberries. And in that moment, you can see him making the si Am I going to take these blueberries from this man that's not supposed to have food on set? I just think that's cool. But yeah, we, we eventually get to the pivotal argument of... Fury is of, hiding something? Of this, of this movie where, yeah, they find out... Fury is hiding something. Tony has broken into the S.H.I.E.L.D. computer system to find out what's going on with Phase 2. Cap goes and breaks into where they're hiding stuff and he finds Hydra weapons and he figures out like Phase 2 is they want to do what Hydra was doing and power weapons using the Tesseract. And Fury comes to confront Tony about breaking into their system. Tony confronts Fury. It ends up just being everyone arguing and the cinematography of this uh, scene. Let me just say that mm. the camera tilt is so good. It is beautiful. Uh, you don't even like notice it for like a few seconds until it's sideways and then like, it, it does a cut, and it's sideways the other way, and then it's, like, spinning around and tilts, like, focuses in on the, uh, the scepter, and then it goes up, and then upside down, and it's like, it's the scepter that's doing it! It's tearing them apart! It's, yeah, it's great. Getting the, the different camera angles representing different things, we get a shot from below looking up at Thor, showing he thinks that he's above all of this, like all of this stuff throughout this scene is so good. And not only sh focusing on the scepter, but flipping it upside down to represent that like, it's what is throwing everything topsy-turvy during this argument. It is, it is absolutely brilliantly shot. And already during this scene, you can see that Tony and Cap are the main arguers. Like, they are the main forces that are butting heads. Yeah, and the, the, the argument between the two of them is, you know, 
Tony's basically saying that Cap is, isn't special. It's everything special about him came out of a tube, which comes from part of that was Tony's father. He's part of the legacy of what made Cap special, according to him. And Cap's thing is everything special about you is a, is a suit of armor that you wear. Put on the suit and we'll see who's better. And the, uh, the transition of put on the suit as an argumentative <laughs> just yeah like put on the suit if you're so great to hawkeye yeah. is coming and causes an explosion and everybody's like oh no and put on the suit turns into we gotta work together go get suited up yeah and it, it is such a great way to transition before we move on from that scene do you Be have anything because else about we the didn't scene? transition well let me see before that is natasha actually drops that cold line of love is for children i owe him a debt camera i have camera tilt is chef's kiss the social tension builds so well and then peaks and pivots into physical tension where people's lives are at stake and just that whole the the waves of tension and resolution to like escalating tension are just they don't stop until the end of the movie at this point yeah. Yeah. There is like one lull after Coulson's death where they've got to be convinced to go out there and then it's like right back to the music is swelling like we've got like we've got to go through like this scene but like after after all the like combat and stuff there's like the everyone is going through their own trials and stuff but maybe I'm getting ahead of your notes. I have two main points I want to mention before we move on. The first one being in that scene where Natasha is talking to Loki, she makes a comment about removing the red from her ledger, which is a scene, which is a comment that she makes several other times in this movie and several other times in the MCU. I also saw a Pinterest post the other day that was comparing how Black Widow is portrayed in the movies from this point onward and how her hair changes in the different movies and she's blonde when she dies in Endgame and her hair goes from being red to blonde and how as the movies go on her hair progressively gets lighter showing that she's removed the red from her ledger that she's done enough good to wipe out the red which I think is really cool and this is the beginning of that. Second thing is that in that scene where everyone is arguing is when we find out the comment is made by Bruce that he can't kill himself and that he's tried to kill himself. He said he put a gun in his mouth or he put a bullet in his head and the other guy spit it out. And in that moment, everyone was like, oh, everyone else's issues going on. Everyone's like, all right, okay. <laughs> He wins. <laughs> right. Trauma, <laughs> that guy wins. Those are my two points. So then we get Hawkeye attacking the helicarrier with some fantastic aim and judging of wind currents. And velocity of the vehicles involved. Yeah. The, the math involved in that first shot is incredible. You could say superhuman. Could have done it with a rocket launcher. Could have done it with a rocket launcher, but he's Hawkeye. So, nah, he's good. So he has to spin one of his 28 arrows. You sat and counted? I did. I did pause and count exactly how many shafts that man had in his quiver. Did you count how many arrows he shot during that fight? No. Oh, I wish he had. I hadn't. I kind of want to go back and watch it now just to see if the, if the math works on the arrows. Anyway, but yeah, we see in the explosion that he causes, uh, Natasha and Bruce get knocked down to a lower level, which is physical trauma enough 
for Bruce to change into the Hulk. We see more of Natasha being afraid of the Hulk, with good reason, because he, like, swats her aside like a fly. But then she, he kind of corners her at, at one point, and she does not see a way out. Before we go from that, there is one thing in that scene, when he is transitioning into the Hulk, right before, like, he turns and looks at at Nat, and we see that his eyes haven't changed yet. Almost like, you know, maybe that the change won't finish when Natasha calls him Bruce. He turns away, angry, finishes transitioning. This is a consistent thing throughout, like, all of these movies, is that when he's the Hulk, he gets mad when people call him Bruce, or Banner, or refer to him as anything other than Hulk, which, in this scene, it helps the transition into the Hulk because she calls him Bruce, and there is a scene later on where this is a thing again, but it continues throughout the rest of the MCU that the Hulk does not like being called Bruce. But then Thor saves Natasha, which kind of starts the rivalry between Thor and the Hulk. So we get to see them fighting. We see that the Hulk is not worthy. And that he can't pick up Mjolnir. Hulk's not worthy, I guess. Hulk's not worthy. But if you put the hammer in an elevator, send the elevator up, it goes up. Elevator's not worthy. That's for another movie. But yeah, Hulk's not worthy. So we get to see Thor trying to get the Hulk to calm down by hitting him, because that's going to work. And Hawkeye breaking in and trying to bring down the helicarrier, and he ends up in a fight with Natasha. And this is the scene that, let's see, they, they send a jet to try and take out the Hulk. He jumps out and takes out the jet and ends up getting blown somewhere. I absolutely hate the lines they gave that pilot. Yes. He's like, targeting, retargeting. Like, no, no. Not unless that pilot is specifically a Hulk fan and wanted to like say something as a joke, but his life was in danger. He was being attacked. Luckily, he was fine. He's like the only guy that was fine and odds are he was also a Hydra agent. There, he, there is a good chance, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how we like, that's how we justify all this death later is... They were probably Hydra agents. Yeah. Also, Thor gets tricked into getting locked into the glass cage. And Loki makes a comment that how many times will you fall for that? Because it was just a illusion. Wow. Several. The, Several times. The god of mischief using an illusion. Wow. I'm so surprised. Who would have thunk it? But he's actually, he uses a secondary illusion as well to kill Coulson. Because Coulson comes in and threatens him and then gets stabbed in the back. Which apparently this scene almost got the movie an R rating. Uh, apparently the stabbing was worse, and they had to tone it down to get a PG thirteen rating. So we get the we get the emotional high, really emotional low of the movie, which is Coulson's death. But he does get to shoot Loki with a really cool gun. So that's what it does. That's true. Yeah. While this is going on, Iron Man is outside trying to fix a rotor. And uh, while he's doing this, he is kind of instructing Captain America to help him out on that. And they, they cut away from those actual instructions, thank, thank goodness. There, there's some pretty cool fights Captain America does. I think my favorite maneuver in the entire movie at this point, which is jumping, like leaping across open air 
to swat a grenade out of the air back to the people that threw it yes. and then land on the other side. Yes. That's just, that's why I love Captain America the most is because he does stuff like that. But there is one part, like, Tony is saying a whole bunch of techno babble, and I can stomach a lot of techno babble, but the second somebody says the word polarity, my engagement is just gone. He said he had to reverse the polarity on something that was made up as well, and just the writers ran out of ideas at that point. It's just, it's always, the word polarity is always a lie. And it shows up in everything. It's only for magnets. And you don't like the way you reverse polarity on most things is by turning the magnet upside down. I have two <laughs> points to make. The first one, going all the way back to the fact that with the continuity issues, at one point, Fury literally says that the staff is powered by the Tesseract. Yes. Like, that's yeah. not a, ooh, we put blue light and blue light together and assumptions. Fury straight up says it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Second thing, Coulson tells Loki that the reason he's going to lose is because he lacks conviction, which is like the most savage thing to say. Yes. And then he shoots him, because Coulson is the man. He really is. He he is incredible. He is savage. And he's also always thinking of the greater good, because... When Fury is there as he's dying, Coulson is like, use this to bring them together. Also, we now see that Thor has been yeeted out of the ship, as well as the Hulk has been yeeted out of the ship, and we find out that Thor is able to escape from the glass death trap. Because right. it was made of glass. Right. Right before it crashes. And we see him fly off and Mjolnir flies off. And we also see that the Hulk has fallen through the roof of a building. More on that later. But the important thing I wanted to know is when Thor goes to pick up Mjolnir, you can see in that moment that Thor is still so afraid of being unworthy. I feel like he sees every quote unquote failure that he makes as possibly making him unworthy. Because he's very hesitant to pick up Mjolnir because he thinks he may not be able to. Yeah, we get like we get to see every single member of the team's low point at that moment of we see Thor hesitating to pick up Mjolnir. We've got Captain America and Tony Stark being briefed by Fury, like really just getting guilt tripped hard in that, that room. With the fake cards and the fake blood. Yeah, and we see... I don't think the cards or the blood were fake. But they weren't on Coulson's body when he died. Fury yeah. well, lied the, about that. The cards were fake. They were made for this movie. And I think also we get like a little snippet of the Hulk just like tumbling in space, falling a few thousand feet to the ground. But then we get like part of those like lows and highs, the the tension and relief. Everybody picks themselves up at, at the same time. Tony and Cap figure out what they need to do next. Thor takes that step and reaches down and picks up the hammer and Banner gets some pants. And Tasha helps and, Clint yeah. get through his cognitive recalibration. Which is basically <laughs> just hitting him in the head really hard. It's violent therapy is what I like to call it. But yeah, and we, we see the, the connection between the two of them and they kind of play off of each other and like lean on each other to get through that low point as well. They also figure out that they're targeting the Stark Tower and then they all decide that they're gonna go stop him all together all at the same time and Fury does not stop them when they see them flying away. Fury doesn't care anything about stopping them. He just wants information because he tells Agent Hill, he goes, get my communications back up. I don't want to stop them. I just want a live feed of what's going on. 
on. We see Tony flying ahead of everyone else to get to his tower where he faces off against Loki because his, his suit is so damaged that he's got to swap suits out. So he gets out. And, and of course his bracelets are sitting at the bar. Uh, yes. He needs to like calibrate the, the suit to his body. Yeah, I mean, every everything about this scene is, is convenient. Although, let's be honest, if Tony was working on bracelets for a new suit, he probably would have left them at that bar. And this is the Mark Seven suit, by the way. The yes. wrist bracelet ones, this Mark Seven. I don't think I've commented on it yet, but the whole, like, he built himself a runway to strut his suits off, and it's just very him. It really is. He's very extra. And we're all so lucky that that's not the process that it takes to put on the new suit. Otherwise, he'd be flat smush. Yes. Flat Starkey. So we also see Dr. Selvig on the roof, who is in the process of using the Tesseract to open a portal to another place. So the Chachari can come in and, you know, do their thing. But then Dr. Selvig gets recalibrated by getting knocked in the head <laughs> and passing out. Yeah, Tony tries to hit the, the Tesseract and the shield kind of blows back. And this is the very, I think this is what kicked off the Skybeam craze that swept all movies forever. Just all bad guys from Avengers on had to have an ominous sky beam. We also get the famous line between Loki and Tony Stark of Loki essentially being like, why are you still trying? You should just give up. Isn't it easier to just be not in charge? And they're arguing and Loki says, well, I have an army. And Tony Stark says, well, we have Hulk, which is a good rebuttal. It's a, it's a great comeback. For sure. And Loki tries to use the scepter to take over Tony's mind in his chest. But unfortunately for Loki, Tony doesn't have a mind in his chest. He's just got a machine. He's just got an ego. No minds in that chest. Just an arc reactor. It really sucks that people's minds aren't anywhere else. And Loki just sat there like ting, 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 ting. Yeah. Too bad for Loki. He couldn't use that scepter on like his head or something. Instead, he just throws him out of a window. I really feel like that scepter could be used anywhere though like you could like poke it in your belly button and get a mind control victim or just like you know find somebody's scapula and tap that and yeah. bam new mind control victim yeah probably but no loki likes to go for the chest so we see that a portal opens and the chitari start swarming the streets of new york and the skies of new york we also get a cameo from ashley johnson who is in critical role those of you that watch and listen to critical role and then we get space whales space whales <laughs> oh yes tell us about those space whales they're not actually whales like they don't look like whales they actually kind of look like eels eels yeah tell us about those space eels i don't know much about eels i'm a marine biologist eels are in the marine though yeah but i don't like eels okay they're armored space eels aren't eels technically not fish technically they're not vertebrates they have cartilaginous skeletons so they don't qualify as vertebrates Oh, dang. That's like a technicality. I would be mad if my insurance came back and called me, uh... What was that word again? <laughs> that's a bad thing, word! Anyways, we see 
lots of things. The rest of the Avengers show up. Thor and Loki have a showdown. Loki stabs Thor with a little tiny stabby thing. Dagger. Uh, and we get, we get like some really just peak Captain America moments here. Like, oh my god, I wish Cap would hop up on a car and yell New York street names at me. We also get the famous line between Nat and Barton about Budapest. I want a Hawkeye and Black Widow movie called Budapest where they talk about what happened in Budapest. That would be bad and ruin the whole thing. No! Right before that happens, though, they're actually with Cap and Loki is on a Chitauri. A dude chariot because they have, like, a chariot bit where a man is standing there with a gun and then uh, where a horse would be. Where'd the horse go on a chariot is dude. There, there, there'd be dude where the horse go. Dude chariot. And he's just, like, he's just strapped in, chest forward, arms out, doesn't use his arms to steer or pilot or anything. <laughs> he doesn't just... even consciously pilot because Nat stabs a dude in the back. And right. Just jerks his body where she needs to go. But yeah, there, there's dude where the horse go and dude he doesn't... Chariot. <laughs> But yeah, Loki flies by on a dude chariot, a Chitari dude chariot, and it's really quick. You can't tell if that's the one that Loki's on, and Cap is like, Loki, which is really cool because it shows that not only one of the extra things that the serum did to him is it helped his senses. It heightened all of, all of his senses. So he could see that Loki was on there. And everyone is here. All of the Avengers are here except for Bruce Banner, who then shows up riding this rinky-dink motorcycle and uh, joins the fray. Yeah, and that's that's where we find out Bruce Banner's secret. He's always angry. Whatever that means. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Whatever that means. That's my secret, Cap. I'm a millennial. Okay. <laughs> And then we get the awesome Avenger shot, the big circle shot where they're all standing back to back in a circle and they're fighting and it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, we get Cap call calling out those shots, telling people where they need to be, and then he tells Hulk to smash. Which, going back to the point of Hulk and Bruce, Cap calls him Hulk. Yeah, not Bruce. And he responds to it. It's really cool showing that like Cap either understands or lucked out there. Also in that scene, he tells Barton to go up on a rooftop and then tells Iron Man to go look around the perimeter and Iron Man picks up Hawkeye and as he's lifting him into the air he says clinch up Legolas yeah <laughs> yeah he calls he calls Hawkeye Legolas he calls Thor point break earlier on and he calls Loki reindeer games I'm gonna be real with you guys here I only have three notes oh no for this whole bit up until the end credit scene and that's what I said about Cap hopping up on cars and yelling street names at me. The phrase, do chariots are weird. And then a note that I paused mid-fight to count Hawkeye's quiver holes and he has 28 arrow slots. And that is all I have for the rest of this movie until the end credit scene. I have a whole so. page left of notes. That is insane. I have maybe half a page. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just lean on you guys here for a little bit. Alright, let's quick fire this. So, we've got Hulk ends up taking on Loki, which... Is that your next note? I have no, so much actually, before I, that. I have one okay. before that. In the course of this incredible fight scene with fantastic cinematography, amazing special effects... And great and character moments. Wonderful character moments, 
and one of just the coolest shots going through the streets of New York showing what everyone is doing in the middle of the fight and just transitioning from hero to hero is... Ah, I love it! Same. What have you got? That pretty much covered it. We get cool shots of Hawkeye shooting things without looking at them. Captain America using... It. It's the classic Dungeons and Dragons thing where you want to, like, shield jump off of somebody. Natasha runs and Captain America just throws her up in the air. Then at the end, the Thor and Hulk take down one of the space whales. And at the end, after the fighting has kind of stopped for them, the fighting hasn't stopped overall, the Hulk just punches Thor without saying anything. He gets his revenge. We see that Dr. Selva wakes up. The accidental cognitive recalibration worked. We see that Fury has a conversation with the council and the council want to nuke New York, essentially. And Fury tells them, hey, that's not that great of an idea. My guys can still handle it. And we get the line, which we will say, so if you are a small viewer and have tiny children ears, turn it off now. Parents, there are bad words. One bad word that will be said. Quote the line. I understand the council has made a decision, but seeing as that is a stupid-ass decision, I have elected to ignore it. Yes, that line. And then we are caught up with Loki and the Hulk having a confrontation. Yes, the Hulk confronts Loki, who just starts berating him because he is a god, and the Hulk is having none of it, and just grabs him, completely ragdolls him. He ragdolls him, throws him on the ground, threw him back and forth. My favorite scene... Like, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. It's, like, it's just really good. Just the, the comedic timing is awesome. Just the, like, Loki saying something I don't even remember. And he gets picked up by the legs and smacked into the ground a couple of times. Held up to see if he's still moving. And then sliding into the ground some more. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what happened in the theater when we saw this originally? I'm pretty sure we were cackling like apes. Yes, everyone in the theater was laughing so loud when that happened that we missed the line, puny god. And the entire theater started whispering so that people were asking, what did he say? And it passed through the entire theater that the line was puny god, just so everyone would know because we were laughing so hard at him ragdolling Loki. <laughs> I would like to think that there are still some people that were in that theater that day that a really bad game of telephone ruined that movie for them. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely, yeah. And then we see that the council overrides... Oh, I put a question on here. I said, where is Spider-Man? Spider-Man is 12 years old and freaked out. In New York Because somewhere. he's not Spider-Man. He's Peter Parker living with his aunt and uncle and has no powers. His Uncle Ben's probably already dead. I don't, I don't know when Ben died. He might have died in here. Yeah. Uncle Ben might have died in the Battle of New York. I never thought of that. Ooh, that's where Spider-Man is. He's grieving his uncle who just got blown up by a Chitauri dude chariot. Anyways, we see that the council overrides Fury's authority and sends a nuke anyways. Hydra agents. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to mention that that pilot is a good soldier. Horrible person, because he's okay with blowing up millions of people and the entire island of Manhattan. But he's a good soldier, which I think is kind of an important thing with Captain America, that he's not a good soldier. He's a good man. Also, we see that Fury lets Tony know that there's a nuke headed towards New York, and Tony decides he's going to take the nuke into the portal and make the sacrifice play that he supposedly never makes and has made in two movies now. Yeah, I don't understand why Cap's argument was not an argument. Real quick, Nick Fury 
shot a missile at a plane he knew was carrying a nuke. Like, he was gonna nuke S.H.I.E.L.D. before he let it get to Manhattan. Right? It probably would have been better, though, in the ocean. The ocean would have absorbed radiation faster than it would have on land. It's in the air, though. Air currents are bad. Oh, air currents are bad. Still not as bad as the initial explosion being in Manhattan proper. And nuclear weapons are set to detonate in the air anyway. They don't make contact with ground. Yeah. So. But to get maximum death? Yes. Yeah. I hate nuclear weapons! It's so scary! A lot of people do. But worrying about them is like worrying about quicksand in your sandbox. Anyway, yeah, Nick Fury is very much a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind of person. Also, we see as soon as Tony goes up into space and he goes through the portal, Jarvis was not designed for space. He shuts down almost immediately. But we also see that Tony's suit is airtight because he didn't get like... <laughs> we also see that Nat is able to close the portal. She uses Loki's scepter to disrupt the Tesseract long enough for the portal to close. Tony barely makes it. He falls unconscious through the sky. Everyone's like, ooh, he survived! As this man is plummeting to his death. And the only one that moved fast enough was the Hulk. The Hulk was like, I got you. And then after Tony wakes up... Which... We learned another one of the Hulk's powers, which is a defib... Defib... We learned another one of the Hulk's powers today, which was apparently a defibrillatory yell. And then Tony brings up shawarma, which he's never had before, but he thinks we should all go get shawarma. There's actually a scene earlier on where he uses Jonah as a role model and flies through a space whale. When he lands after that, he lands next to the shawarma place that they go to later. You just probably immediately in that moment, like... I. I don't need to think about anything else. Once you become food for something else, you gotta think about your own food. The, we then see that they have successfully saved New York. They've closed the portal. We see a lot of clips of news outlets. It's kind of like a pan over of all of them. And that's where we get our Stan Lee cameo, where he makes the statement, superheroes in New York, give me a break. Mel, you, you guys haven't done this on the show before. You've talked about, you've... You've mentioned every Stan Lee cameo thus far, but I, as the the guest here, I need to pose the question: Was that the best place for the Stan Lee cameo? Could there have been a better slot in there? I yes. I personally don't like this Stan Lee cameo. With that question being posed, I think it's kind of boring, mm -hmm. and just honestly, I feel like Joss Whedon treated it the same way he treated Thanos. He didn't know what to do for a Stan Lee cameo, which I'm allowed to bash Joss Whedon now, it's fine. Yeah. I don't know where in the movie I would have put it. I'd have to actually watch the movie with that in mind. The guy that gives Banner clothes is where I put it. I, yeah. But I don't, I also don't, I feel like the actor that's there and doing that has some significance that I'm not aware of, though. He was an alien, and he asks if Banner is an alien. The movie alien? Okay, yeah, I would definitely so. re replace him with Stanley just being a security guard or a janitor in that place, giving him some clothes. Galen, can you think of a, a, ni a nice spot to slaughter a good <coughs> buddy Stan in? I would have had him be the guy playing Galaga. Have him be that S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. That would be mine. I'm trying to think. There weren't a lot of extras in this show that weren't S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or... Because most of the movie is spent on the helipad thing. So it would have to be somebody in New York when it's getting invaded. Or someone before that in somebody's backstory. If he was the Russian man that Natasha... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Police officer that Cap yells at? Oh, that yeah. would be funny, yeah. Be, yeah, that could have worked. 
That would have been good. Instead, we see that guy later, that police officer that he speaks to, is in one of those clips when it's panning over, and he's got a big Captain America shield on his shirt, and he's, like, waving at the camera when they pan by. We also see Ashley Johnson's character, who apparently was going to be in more scenes during the fight, but we really just see her getting saved by Cap, and then in one of the interviews, she's talking about how he saved her, and so she's she's cool with them being there, but there's a lot of people that are, they're not sure about whether superheroes are a good idea, or, you know. Yeah, how do we regulate them? Yeah, so that, that's kind of laying down a foundation for what's going to come later on. We also get to see Loki has been captured, and he is in chains. They let Thor take him and the Tesseract back to Asgard, which the council disapproves of, and Fury's essentially like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, we see a, an incredible example of the arrogance of humans from the council when they're talking about Loki being a war criminal and they, they should be the ones. They have a problem with Thor taking him when, like, you're not the end-all be-all when it comes to the law. Like, sure, he did all this stuff on Earth, but as a guardian let it be we also see that everybody kind of goes their separate ways at the end of this fight and at the very end we see the stark tower the word stark is gone and all that's left is the a which is a hint to they're going to change the stark tower to the avengers tower and in the, in that scene we're zooming out from tony and pepper like we don't get words but they're going over the uh, the plans and stuff and we see that Tony is wearing the same t-shirt he's been wearing for the entire movie. It's the exact same... The Black Sabbath shirt? Yeah. He really loves that Black Sabbath shirt. He's been wearing it the whole movie. Yeah, I don't think he wears anything other than that. Except the Iron... He wears the Iron Man suit over it. Other than the Iron Man suit, it's it's that Black Sabbath t-shirt for like three days. Maybe he's got multiple shirts that are the same shirt and he just like... I hope so. And then we get the mid-credit scene, which is the Thanos reveal, which... He ugly! He is pretty ugly. He's, he's just... He's, he's just... That's not even a person that they're like mo-capping mo or anything. That's just like an ugly purple CGI... Man. Also, I had no, I saw this movie in theaters as well, and I didn't know who Thanos was. That, I remember watching that mid credit scene and just being like, mm, I don't know who that is, and just walking out of the theater. Had no expectations for the Infinity War issue. Forgot about that credit scene until Thanos was revealed later on. He says, I'll do this myself after... What? Age of Ultron, I believe? A movie that had nothing to do with extraterrestrial problems whatsoever? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Really weird build up to Thanos. So fun fact, when I saw this movie in theaters, I had no idea who Thanos was either. I did. I yeah, you are the one that actually told me about him. Yeah, when when he was first revealed, I was like, I don't know what just happened. For 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 your information here, uh, I was the resident Marvel guy among the uh, our friend group because I got a Marvel encyclopedia for a, a birthday way way back when, and I memorized the whole thing. Oh my like, goodness. I knew every character's name and powers and their relationships to each other. And I still, to this day, have not read a single comic. That's really funny. So after the the Thanos reveal, we get the after credit scene, which is literally just the Avengers sitting there eating shawarma in one of the biggest fake outs since Captain America at the end of 
Homecoming. When I saw it in theaters, I liked it actually. Oh, so did I. I didn't stay for it a second time, or like I watched. I went back to watch the movie in theaters like three more times, I think, and I've already gotten the what I needed from the scene. Yeah, but that first time, like it is, it is definitely worth watching. It is enjoyable. Fun fact about that scene: the only person not eating is Steve. He's just sitting there with his hand over his face because Chris Evans was shooting Snowpiercer at the time, and he did not want, when they did the reshoots that in included this scene, and he did not want to shave his beard, so he was wearing a fake jaw and covering most of his face with his hand. Can I just take a moment to just talk about the, uh, the range on Chris Evans to go from Captain America, a pinnacle of goodness, to literal actual baby eater just like one movie to the other it's jarring it is you could get whip whiplash except that marvel doesn't like to name drop things <laughs> exactly yeah all right so uh first off thank you to wes for guest starring on this episode thank you Thank you, thank you. I'm sure we will have you back at some point. We'll probably have somebody else as a guest first, but we'll have you back sometime. I need, in the, in the, not the previous episode, because this is definitely a two-parter at this point, or a two-hour podcast, or you cut out everything mm. good. In the Captain America episode, Matthew said something that alarmed me, and I, I truly believe alarmed every other reasonable viewer out there, is that he said that, quote, no movie is perfect, so I don't give 10-point ratings. Yes. Which means Matthew and Caitlin have not been using a 10-point scale thus far. <laughs> they have been using a 1-9 to nine scale, which means all of their num numerical reviews thus far have been 11% off. Actually, you need to multiply their reviews by 1.11 repeating, but still... All of their reviews have been 11% off up until this point. Alright, I'm going to explain why you're wrong. No. Um, so, as, is, <laughs> as a movie in general, what would you rate this movie? Wes, you can go first. Oh, do I, do I have to go first? You don't have to. As a movie connoisseur, this movie in particular, I, I, uh, it's not in my personal top five of movies that I really really like but it is it's really good i it's definitely above average i'm trying to cut my quadrants in half my scale and uh, i am aware that when you're reviewing a movie your review is subjective so it's kind of out of out of one to a ten in terms of personal experience so my numerical value doesn't have to be modified to get an actual result that being said i would probably put this movie at about uh god i think it's a solid eight and a half for me i was gonna say nine so that's pretty on par yeah i think i was probably gonna go like just a little bit lower with like an eight just because i feel like this this movie is where it starts to get a little iffy with it being a movie versus a superhero movie because a lot of people rate them very differently and treat them very differently. A lot of people don't consider superhero movies to be cinema and those people are wrong. They are absolutely incorrect and but this movie is weird just because of the ensemble of it and just because it is led up to with the rest of phase one but it's still good and in just in saying that, I have convinced myself to bump up to an 8.5. Cool. So our average is uh, an 8.65, 8.7, something like that. As a superhero movie, 
8.8. As a superhero movie, what would you rate this movie? As a superhero movie and just a movie, are you, you guys have been saying superhero movie, but are you including things like the Daredevil TV show? Not a movie. Uh, not, not a movie. So only like feature-length films. We yes. may be discussing WandaVision and Loki, but that's super later on, and we'll do it by grouping of episodes. Yeah, so when, when, we, when we get to the end of Phase 3 of the MCU, we might do WandaVision and the Disney Plus shows before we start doing other superhero movies, but we don't know yet. As a superhero movie, I don't... Like, the only superhero movies that actually compete with Marvel are, like, one of the x-men films and deadpool in my opinion so this ranks really high for me as one of the best of the marvel series is one of the most solid films if you like ignore some like continuity issues with other movies as one unit this one's really high for me and i would say yeah this is probably probably only because in game is so good and infinity war is also good i would put avengers probably right at the nine slot for me I would say 9.5. This movie set a precedent. Like, this movie is the quintessential superhero team-up movie that I don't know, well, I was gonna say is yet to be matched, but it has been matched, and so only because Infinity War and Endgame exist, I'm saying 9.5. It's definitely the best out of Phase 1. Like, the Phase 1 peaked with oh, uh, Avengers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, Captain America got us almost there, and then Avengers just knocked it out of the park. This was the first movie that I saw in theaters that blew my my mind superhero wise like all the tie-ins from all the other movies it blew my mind it's like they can do this this is this is cool and it opened up so many more possibilities of even though fox owned the right to deadpool and the x-men franchise still that possibility of oh are we gonna get like yeah and this started a precedent for the entire superhero film industry because i mean DC had to cludgel their way to, to something I hesitate to say similar. There, There is a reason that we are only doing Marvel movies. So, uh, special thanks to Wes for guest starring. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I, it, it was my pleasure. I, I greatly enjoyed this. And as always, a special thanks to Mikhail Biro for the use of our theme song. You can find his YouTube channel in our description for the episode. You will also find links to our social media at Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow there. Yeah, we'll post all of our updates there. You can follow us at The Marvelous Duo on both of those platforms. And after this episode, it will be very important to follow us there so that you can find out when we will be back. Because after this episode, we are taking a short break before we start with the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 2. Also me, I'm Wes. Uh, you can find my information in the description as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode and stay marvelous. I'm just gonna have you sing. <laughs> <laughs>
spit. <coughs> yeah. I'm. Um, regret to inform you that Caitlin has asphyxiated in the studio today. She. <laughs> she attempted to show us what it would be like to lose all of your air and space at one time, and she spontaneously <laughs> combusted. It was um. It was tragic, but. I mean, we're all, we're all better off for the experience, oh. I guess. We, we definitely learned something that day. Anyway, so Tony saved the The funeral the service will be held. 